Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. It is not Saturday as I record this, but you're watching it on Saturday, which means, of course, story Saturday. You uh, <clears throat> missed, uh, you, you no doubt noticed last week this was was not a new story. Uh, I told you why the last time I was hunkering down to finish, finish hard on uh, campaign season, the Six Glimmer Veil book that I owed to the Kickstarter people, and I succeeded. Crushed it, finished it up, actually, on Monday evening. And <laughs> at long last, that's done. Yay! Now we're just proofing it, and we'll get it out to the Kickstarter backers uh, by the end of the month, is what I promised, and there'd be no reason why we can't do that. Artwork's already done, it's just a matter of proofing it. And uh, make sure it's formatted right, and the formatting's easy with vellum. Uh, so... That's good. That's done. But because I was head down charging on that, I and also there was a bunch of stuff going on this past weekend. It made it so that getting the time to sit down and actually record a story was and edit it and all that stuff was just wasn't looking in the cards. So I, you know, did the uh, blast in the past story instead, which I think I'm going to do more going in the future. Not necessarily. Uh, on a regular basis, but there are a number of uh, stories that I uh, shared here in the past that were uh, good stories, but you know, haven't touched on in a while. And frankly, some of those recordings were kind of yeah, and so they're not good enough to make into audiobooks, and thus I will probably re-record them with my good, better setup um, so I can actually <laughs> make audios out of them. And so on down the line, uh, those will be shown up here as part of Story Saturday uh, as well. The won't have any need to for a while, the, theoretically at least. But, um, yeah, so after this challenge, stories are done. We'll probably get back to that. So that's going to be next year sometime. In the meantime, if something comes up where they don't have time to do a video rather than leaving you with nothing, I'll probably just repost one of those those old ones in their current yucky form. Um, she so guys have at least something, but that's not this week. This week we are doing, in fact, story twenty-four from Stories from the Great Challenge. This one is called "Love in the Apocalypse." It's a sci-fi tale, uh, kind of zombie apocalypse sort of thing. They're not too much with the zombies, but it's about a couple who are in the apocalypse, zombie style, and uh, what becomes of them, and more particularly the. The, uh, the main character of the girl of the couple. Uh, so sit back, enjoy. I wrote it. I'm reading it. Therefore, you know it's awesome. And I'll talk to you after the story's done. Have fun. Light flashed into Silva's eyes, rousing her from what had been a deep and dreamless sleep. She squirmed and stretched, raising her arms above her head and letting out a long, low sigh that was almost a groan as she forced herself to full wakefulness. Then she remembered where she was, and the pleasant feeling of stretching limbs and gathering of morning energy fled before that reality. She sat bolt upright, 
eyes that were still adjusting to the new light levels darting to and fro, looking for danger and heedless of the sheets that had fallen away from her naked torso. Didn't matter if her boobs were showing, if she was about to get eaten, but nothing. The room where she'd been sleeping was the same as she now remembered it had been when she and Zack had tucked in the night before. Silva's lips turned upward slightly at the thought. Why was she making euphemisms to herself? Tucked in indeed. They had both expected to be dead before the morning. So when they'd stumbled upon this abandoned house, with its still-functioning solar array in the biggest, most luxurious bed Silva had ever seen, they had decided to go out with a bang. And quite a bang it had been. But now it turned out that it hadn't been their last night ever, on this or any other world, and that meant things were about to get... awkward. Silva brushed her black hair back from her eyes and turned to the left, where Zack was still asleep. He wasn't there. What the... Had he risen ahead of her and gone to the little house's kitchen to rustle up some coffee? More mindful now of her state of undress, Silver slung her legs out from under the sheets and settled her feet onto the chilly gray-white tile of the bedroom floor. Pulling the sheet with her as she rose, heedless of the bed's red comforter flopped onto the floor, she wrapped herself into the sheet and walked over to the door leading out to the living room and kitchen area. Zack, she called, but his name drifted away into nothing when she fully emerged and saw the red leather couch and loveseat arranged around a black marble-looking coffee table the red cabinets above black quartz countertops in the kitchen, the screen of the televid black against the far wall, and the front door black and closed against the horror of the world outside. But no Zack. The air was cool and dry, and smelled slightly of disinfectant, as though the owner's maid had been through here just before all hell had broken loose. But not of coffee, or of the cologne Zack had been wearing last night. She hadn't really been concerned before, but now a shot of icy fear lanced through her. Where was Zack? What had happened to him? And more frightening still, how had it happened with her lying asleep beside him without her knowing of it? Had one of those things come in and got him? But why would he have not have taken her as well? And how should she have slept right through it? Or, almost more terrifying in its own way, had Zack waited until she was asleep and then left her? Had he been playing with her the whole time just to eke out one last bit of nookie before the end? He had succeeded in that, but she had wanted it too. And even if that had been all he was after, why would he bolt? There was really no place to go, not anymore, and no one to brag to about his conquest. No one who wouldn't eat his face off, anyway. So what the hell? Silva scanned the room again, her eyes lingering on the furnishings and the decor longer this time, soaking in the details. Nothing seemed out of whack. She came to the front door and froze. It was ajar, the latching mechanism just resting against the jam, like it had not been fully pulled to, more allowed to slowly shut on its own. The shard of fear became a full-on lance, and Silva retreated back into the bedroom, moving as quickly as she could without creating a big rustle of moving sheet. Then she pushed the door slowly closed. The click of the latch sliding home lessened her fear somewhat, even though she knew the things wouldn't be stopped by something as paltry as a bedroom door, but she still felt better regardless. Moving more quickly now, Silva dropped the sheet and gathered up her clothing from where Zack had discarded it on the floor after removing it. She dressed quickly, only cursing over the fact that her underwear was three days old now twice, and then patted the front pocket of her jeans. The keys to her place were still there. Not that those would do much good, but it felt reassuring to have them. But where? She cast about looking for her wallet, but couldn't see it anywhere. Silva normally carried a small handbag, not quite a purse. But lucky her, she decided to forego that for just a wallet and keys when she left the house before it all started. So at least she didn't have to be the cliched girl clinging to her purse during the end of the world. And truth be told, it wasn't like a wallet would do her much good now anyway. But she hated to lose it, just in case. And because... because it was a bit of normalcy. 
and all the sudden madness that engulfed her and everyone else's life. The bed was raised above the floor on four black wooden legs. Getting down on her knees, Silva peered beneath. And there it was, her wallet. A thin bit of brown leather doubled over itself. She reached out to get it, and when she did, she saw something else there as well, lying just past it. A simple golden ring, lying on the tile beneath the bed. Zack's wedding ring. Silva froze, just staring at it. The symbol of the life he'd built with Helen, the bond between them. The bond Silva had broken when she'd taken Zack into her last night. Stupid cow, she said under her breath, Helen's dead. That didn't make the sudden guilt go away. They're all dead, she said louder and more forcefully to herself, and we were going to be too. That didn't change the fact that she fantasized about him ever since she'd first met him when Helen brought him back to meet their parents. She'd never done anything about it, but she couldn't make that desire go away. And now, not two days after Helen died, Silva had done it. She had screwed her sister's husband. Doesn't matter, because she's fucking dead, Silva growled to herself. She pushed herself back from the bed and straightened, slipping the wallet into the pocket of her jeans. She took a moment to wipe the tears she hadn't realized she was shedding from her eyes, then stood and turned toward the door. But before she could open it back up, she found herself diving back beneath the bed and grabbing up Zack's ring. The front door swung open easily and soundlessly on apparently well-oiled hinges, and Silva stepped out into the world, or what was left of it. Here, on the outskirts of town, the ravaging of the things was almost invisible, and especially in the little nook of woods around the house she and Zack had borrowed. The place was small, just one bedroom, and isolated, blocked from sight on the street by high bushes and low-hanging tree limbs that surely had to have been planted just for that reason. They had almost walked ran right past it, except Zack had seen the path to the front door from the corner of his eye, and they ducked in, feeling like they were barely half a step ahead of the pack that had been dogging their steps for hours. Now it was daylight, and she could see the house was stucco-sided, just yellow of white, and trimmed in red-brown like a well-stained piece of wood, and it still looked untouched, like no one had been here ever. So clearly they hadn't been just one step ahead of the pack. The path back to the street was made of flagstone, and it curved between the trunks of two willows before rounding the edge of the bushes. Silva walked slowly down it, carefully placing her feet so as to avoid making excess noise and peering about for any sign of Zack's passage. She saw none. But just as she was rounding the bushes, she heard a sign. Zack's voice. Immediately relief and elation swept through her, a heartbeat before she realized it was his voice all right, but it was raised, louder than it should have been, given what was going on these days, and it was full of fear. Nigh on, panic. Silva began to move more quickly, but froze a second later when Zack's cry went from fear to pain. No, she cried, then surged forward. She rounded the bend and emerged onto the sidewalk beyond. The street was two-lane, running north to south. It was lined with willows and maples and oaks, whose overhanging limbs lent the street a quaint, shady charm. Charm that was ruined by two wrecked cars within two hundred yards, and at least a couple of corpses, or what Silva assumed were corpses, though there was little enough left that it would have been impossible to be sure. She took all that in, then set it aside as she turned right and saw Zack lying on his back on the blacktop, one of those things on top of him. He was tall, six foot one, and strong. The thing probably used to be only five nine but it was overpowering him, throwing its entire weight down onto his arms, which he had thrown up above himself to ward the thing off. They were thirty, forty feet away, but Silva could clearly see Zack's arms trembling at the exertion to keep it off of him. Without thinking about what she was doing, Silva rushed toward him, but she had made maybe three steps when the thing raked its fingers across the meat of Zack's forearms. 
He cried out, pain and desperation both in his tone. Then his arms gave out and the thing was on him. Zack's shriek as the teeth tug into his belly was high-pitched, almost like a boy's, and despairing. She was still moving toward them. Zack's eyes caught hers as she approached and he shook his head at her. Then she was next to him and drove her foot into the thing's side. Caught unawares, the thing lost its grip on Zack and rolled off to the side. Its face, once human but now something else, was red around the mouth and chim from Zack's blood, from where it had bitten him, and it was chewing. Silva felt her stomach heave and tasted bile. She looked down at Zack's belly and saw that it had torn straight through his shirt and into the flesh and beyond. Blood flowed freely from the wound, and other fluid, too. Movement from the thing drew her eyes back to it. It had rolled onto all fours and was looking at her with gray-yellow eyes that shone with hunger, but beyond hunger to something more, something that could never be quenched. She took a step, her guts turning to water. Every part of her screamed to turn and run while she still could. But she couldn't. She couldn't do anything except watch it as it crawled right over top of Zack as he clutched futilely at the wound and groaned. Watch it and retreat. Her foot struck something solid and she glanced back to see that she had reached the curb. She stepped quickly up onto the sidewalk and looked back at the thing. It was closer now, its pink-brown skin slick with what she assumed was sweat. But did they still sweat? Nude except for the last scraps of the shorts it had worn before turning, it surged forward toward her arms outstretched and mouth agape, revealing teeth that had grown into many daggers. Silva heard herself squeak out a shriek, but somehow in the midst of her fear she moved. A sidestep to the right, and the thing shot past her, just missing carrying her to the ground with it. As it was, the thing stumbled face first into the grass on the other side of the sidewalk from the street, and it let out a bark cough that might have been an expression of chagrin. Or nothing at all. These things didn't seem to have very much in the way of intellect. But this was not the time to reflect on their anatomy. It would be coming for her again. Silva cast about for something to use as a weapon. And saw a broken chunk of concrete lying in the street next to the curb. It must have been thrown there from an accident or who knows from where. No matter how it got there, Silva thanked God it had, and she picked it up. It took both hands to heft it, and the thing was back on its feet when she turned back toward it, cudgel in hands. The thing looked pissed. It charged, and Silva swung the hunk of concrete. The stone struck the thing in the jaw, and it went reeling off to Silva's left, falling back into the street. Silva didn't wait this time. She threw herself down onto it, pinning it to the street with her knees. Then she brought the concrete chunk down onto its head. Again. And again. And again. A couple more hits, and its skull was a mush of red, its limbs trembling and spasming weakly. Silva collapsed onto the street next to the thing and just breathed for a few seconds. A few minutes? Her heart was pounding, and it was like she couldn't get enough air. But finally she managed to collect herself a bit, enough to remember Zack. Rolling over, she pushed herself up onto her knees, then her feet, and stumbled over to where he still lay, blood flowing freely from around the fingers he had clenched to his wound. He was trembling and had gone pale. His eyes were sunken, and there were tears running down his cheeks. She was no doctor, but she didn't need to be to know he wasn't long for this world. Silva dropped down onto her knees next to him, and immediately he said, I'm sorry. She blinked, confused. Zack must have seen the question on her face, because he drew a breath and then said, For last night, I... I don't know why, I... He cut off and looked away from her, a sob escaping his lips. Oh, Helen, I'm sorry. Shh. Silva leaned down and reached out, cupping his chin to turn his face back toward hers. You got nothing to be sorry for. He had let his head turn, but he shook it after she spoke. 
I shouldn't have. He trailed off amidst a series of strong coughs that left him gasping in pain as his abdomen contracted. Ah! He drew a quick, deep breath. Couldn't sleep. Needed to get away, take a walk. Didn't mean to go so far. It's all right, Silva said. Clearly he was blaming himself for this whole predicament, and not just for their sex last night. But Silva was pretty sure this is how they were going to end up no matter what he did. Food for the things. Or worse. It's not your fault. He shook his head again, as though to deny her words. She opened her mouth to say that yes, she meant it. None of it was his fault. Not last night, and not now. But he grabbed her forcefully on the upper arm with his blood-soaked right hand. But about a half mile that way, he said, gesturing down the road to the north with that hand before letting it drop limply to the street. Apparently he didn't have the strength to try to staunch the flow anymore. He could talk, though. Found a dead guy next to a cop car. He drew in a deep, quavering breath. Had a map. Old base marked down there. Radio frequencies. Keys in the ignition, and the car started. Cop's radio had the freaks. He coughed, and blood trickled down his cheek from his mouth. People on the radio, he said weakly. Base is safe. Open to survivors. Figured we'd go there. He smiled faintly. Just you now. Zack Silva stopped, unsure what to say or how to feel. There was a safe place, where people were gathering? There were still others alive? Hope surged within her, but then just as quickly it faded as she looked at the dying man beside her. Silently, she cursed the fates, or God, or whatever it was that caused life to suck so much. It just wasn't fair. First Helen, and then she had... And now Zack was going as well. And Silva was just supposed to get up and go on like nothing happened? Why was she not the one bleeding out on the pavement? Do me a favor, Zack said, sounding very weak now. Anything. I'm dying. Or I'm... Turn. Don't want to turn. He looked at her earnestly, and she saw the fear there. Not of dying, but that was there. But of worse than dying. Of becoming one of them. Of the things that had killed him and everyone else. Or almost everyone. Silva nodded slowly and looked back toward the corpse of the thing she had brained. The hunk of concrete she had used was lying on the street next to it. The edge she had used to cave in its skull was bright red in the morning sunlight. Not trusting herself to speak, she stood and walked over to the thing's corpse and retrieved the concrete chunk. When she knelt back down next to Zack, he flashed a sad smile at her, and his hazel eyes were almost the lively orbs they had been when she first saw them. He reached up to touch her face. His hand was covered in blood, but she didn't recoil. He traced his finger down the side of her cheek, stopping when he reached her chin. His eyes left hers, moving down to his hand, and his expression broke. Threw my ring away, he said. Felt so guilty. Don't want to meet her without it. Silva blinked in surprise. Then she set the chunk of concrete down and fished into her pocket, where she had slipped his wedding ring. Pulling it out, she took his hand and gently slid the ring back onto his finger. His eyes widened when he saw it, then he smiled up at her and nodded. Their eyes met, and he looked away from her, up toward the sky. Ready, he said and Silva almost couldn't hear it. She couldn't look away from his face as her hands, trembling to cold of the concrete chunk, and raised it over her head. His face was calm, his eyes glazed over. He looked at peace. Silva forced her eyes closed, and brought the chunk of concrete down with all her might. The car was right where Zack said it would be, and it started as he said it would. From the markings on the map, the base looked to be 150 miles northeast of there, she checked the fuel gauge and figured she had enough to get there, or at least get close enough that she could walk the rest of the way if need be, so she shut the car door, put it in gear, and set off down the road. When she turned on the radio and heard the voice from the base calling out to her, Silva realized that she was weeping. 
but whether tears of grief and loss, or of relief, or of, for the first time, it would felt like forever, hope, she did not know. Alright, so a bittersweet, mostly bitter ending on that one. But hey, it's the zombie apocalypse. What do you want? Happy endings? Get out of here. Get out of here. You don't do happy endings in the zombie apocalypse. I'm not all that into zombie stuff, frankly, but uh, every now and then it uh, is just something funny. Fun, not funny. Fun to, to play with or a movie to watch or book to read about. And so obviously I did on this one. Um, hoped you liked it. Um, if you did, of course, you know what to do. You can go buy the story. You can go buy stories from the Great Challenge, which is, of course, you've seen it before. I'm showing it to you again. This awesome, thick, thick uh, collection. And of course, you know the fun thing about this freaking collection is I spent a month proofing the stories in this in this thing when I put it out. And but no, but no kidding. All the same, as I'm reading them each week. I'm finding typos, and most of and most of them is like son of a gun. Fortunately, with ebooks, it's easy to correct. <laughs> but it's like, dang it, how how can I suck so bar- hard? In my defense, I've hired editors and proofreaders and fast who to edit and proofread stuff, and then I've gone back through after they've done their passes, and I found stuff that they missed too. So it's eh, it's inevitable. It's still annoying though, because you want to have the best product out there that you can. Anyway, regardless, you can buy a stories from a great challenge. From me directly, michaelkingswood.com slash store. You can also go to Amazon, Kobo, Barnes Noble, Apple Books, uh, every ebook place on the planet. Um, you can also get print copies from all the various online places on the planet. It's best to come to me, though, because I get more money that way in some cases. Sometimes it don't, depending on the, depending on what payment method you use and what, uh, what, uh, alternate retail using i might or may not get more money but i do have more control and more direct uh, relationship with you the esteemed and awesome reader so if one of these companies that let's face it, a lot of these internet companies are nefarious if they decide to do something silly we still have a link and we can still share stories and have fun together no matter what uh, you can also go to mikekingswood.com to sign up for the newsletter find out about new releases and become a member of the site. Spend just a couple bucks a month. Help me help keep the lights on around here. Um, but if, of course you need to like this video. Like the podcast. Like the audio. Share with all your buddies. And come back next week. Next week we'll be reading story 25. Which is another sci-fi story. It's kind of sci-fi noirish. It's called Playing for Scraps. Um, this is another one of the stories. That I have set in my Korathi Empire um, which I don't think I've mentioned to you guys yet, but we'll be talking about the, actually I did, the, uh, uh, was Heaven's Gate was earlier on. I know, we haven't gotten to Heaven's Gate yet. Well, Heaven's Gate's another story in the, uh, set in the Karathi Empire. The Karathi Empire is a space empire that I have, I think I talked, I've talked to you about it previously on the, uh, on the, uh, podcast before. Yeah, Craven's Gates, um, story number 41. Uh, it and a couple of other political entities, like the, the entity that my Space Navy novel and I'm working on, the Icarin Confederation, Icarin Confederation, uh, is in the same universe. They don't know each other yet, though, because they're separated by another um, polity that 
both have seen this. It's all coming together. Anyway, but uh, it's a cool little, it's set on a space station, a little noir-ish with a private investigator. It's fun. Come back next week. We'll read it. It'll be good. You'll enjoy it. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Hope you enjoyed this one. See you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.